Hey guys, welcome to Online. Uh, glad you guys are tuning in. My name's Aiden, and uh, if we haven't met, uh, glad that you're here. Uh, I say this often when I get the chance to speak online, but I would love to hear from you if you're watching. You know, we kind of put these services together, and sometimes we're not sure who is on the other end of this camera, and so we would love to hear from you, just kind of how you're connected to Grace, where you're from, uh, if you're part of the church family from Norton that maybe hasn't come back yet. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot uh, me an email. But we're glad that you're here. I'm glad to be back. Um, I would kind of been part of worship for a little while, but uh, my wife and I just had our second kid, and so kind of was gone for a couple weeks. And so I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, you know, it's fun. Father's Day is next week, and it's fun being a dad. And you, you, you have kids, and you're kind of figuring out like how how this all changes you, right? Like it all changes you in different ways. Like I kind of watched my wife becoming like uh, Superwoman in these different ways, and I think I'm just turning into just a dad. Like I, I like dad jokes are flowing out of me like the River Jordan. Like there's just so many bad jokes. And with my first kid, I start like I had this weird plant obsession that started when I had a kid. That's how I changed. My wife became super mom and I became a botanist. And then with this kid, I like soon as he popped out, it's like I saw him, I held him, I kissed him and then thought I need to get a fanny pack. I need to get a fanny pack. And if you don't know what a fanny pack is, I brought an image for you. I stole from buzzfeed.com. Fanny pack is the most practical accessory that money can buy. You got your wallet in a pocket, knife, phone, keys, AirPod mat, all this stuff, all in the fanny pack. And so that has kind of confirmed my dadness uh, this year. My wife doesn't like it, but that's okay. I don't think she's supposed to like it. But I was in the office this week. It was a little thin around the office. And so Pastor Jonathan uh, and Ethan, if you know Ethan, uh, one of our residents, uh, they kind of helped me process through the sermon. And I was wearing my fanny pack, and they gave me the hardest time. They were giving me a hard time about this fanny pack. Uh, so what I did was I found a couple free fanny packs, and I put them in their boxes. So I'm hoping that they can wear their fanny packs because we're trying to get this trend restarted. But this is what I thought about my fanny pack. I thought, man, this is the kind of dad I'm going to be fanny pack Dad, and I had to start asking myself some very deep questions. What kind of father is Fanny Pack Dad going to be? How am I going to influence my children as Fanny Pack Dad? Because that's who I am now, right? And so I'm thinking about this question, right? But the truth is, whether you like it or not, we all, we all, what we do and how we interact with people, we all carry influence and impact on people's lives. I'm going to impact my children as Fanny Pack Dad. You're going to impact whoever's in your life, by whatever type of person you are, we all impact the people that are around us. We all influence them, right? In in the faith world, we call this discipleship, right? That's the the language that we use kind of in church and kind of faith world. Uh, Sometimes, maybe in just society, we refer to this as leadership, right? But but it's it's how our lives, it's what what our lives are pointing people to. It's what we're showing people is true about ourselves with the way that we live, the way that we carry ourselves, what we believe and how that plays out, right? And I want to say this, and we'll kind of launch from this today, that in one way or another, all of us are leaders. All of us are leaders in one way or another. Now, you might be listening, and you might be uh, someone like my wife. My wife hates to be in charge of things. Like She's like, I do not want to be in charge, right? So some of you might be like, I'm not a leader. I don't like being in charge of things. I don't like to talk, and I get that. But we all have influence on people and lead people in one way or another. You may have kids. You may run a business, you may be a husband, you may be a teacher, a shift leader, a small group leader at the church. You may be the only follower of Jesus in your family or in your friend group or at your job. Maybe you have a story that someone can relate to that in one way or another, maybe it's not some big scale president CEO, but we all have influence on the way that we interact with people. So we all have relationships where we carry influence. So for the sake of today, we'll kind of use that interchangeably. 
leadership and kind of this influence, the way that we affect people. Right now, I want to say this. I'm not, I am not here today to give you some life coaching advice about how to win friends and influence people. Not at all. Like that is not what I'm about. Now, that's good. That's good. It's helpful. But we're talking about how the, how the gospel plays out. What we want to do is open the scriptures to see how we are called to lead and influence the people that God has placed in our lives. Our co-workers, our kids, our friends, that maybe the clients that we work with are not there by happenstance, but they're people that God has placed in our lives to influence for the sake of the kingdom. So we're going to open the scriptures today, continue through the book of 1 Thessalonians that we're going through, and look at the interactions that Paul had with these people and how he led them and how he influenced them in the way of Jesus. And so we are in a New Testament book called 1 Thessalonians. We're calling this Working in the Waiting. Working in the Waiting. And so this is, this is a letter that Paul writes to a church. We're, we're reading a letter. And Paul is writing this to people that he loves. Like last week, we talked about how they're the model church. Like he loves them. He loves what God is doing through them and how their influence is echoing out into the world, right? It's a letter that he gives this, this vision for life, right? It's this, this working, right? He's given them this vision for life as, as they're working, but also he's given them a perspective for the future. That there's this hope with this letter that Jesus is going to be coming back and so he's giving them this vision for life as they're working, while also this perspective for the future, while we're waiting for the return of Jesus. And so in 1 Thessalonians, he went to the city, Acts 17, you can kind of read the first time he went there, preached the gospel, ticked a lot of people off. They ran him out of town because they didn't like what he was doing, what he was starting there. When he got ran out of town, he established the church, and the people who ran him out of town, they're trying to discredit him. They're now trying to spread rumors about him and say that he was a fraud, that he was greedy, that he was just spreading the stuff to try and get money, that he was a charlatan, which is kind of this traveling person who uses, you know, maybe spirituality to get their own personal gain. And that's what he's being accused of. And in chapter two, we see that Paul is defending himself and kind of his fellow missionaries, kind of the crew he's with, but he doesn't defend himself by proving what he knows or by getting mad at those accusing him or by telling the people that he loves that they're, that they're stupid for listening to those accusing him. But what he does is he reminds his friends, he reminds the Thessalonians of how he treated them, how he lived, how he influenced them while he was with them. And so today as we read this chapter, we see Paul showing the way of Jesus in his relationship to these people. And we see him reminding them of the influence he had on them. So we're just going to read through the passage and just pull out three things. So 1 Thessalonians, you guys can open your Bibles, pause, uh, turn your phones on to it. Uh, we'll throw it up here on the screen, but we're just going to read straight through it and kind of pull out some stuff. We'll start in chapter 2. Paul says this. He's writing to the Thessalonians. He's kind of been run out of town. His name's kind of being tainted by these people who ran him out of town. And he's writing back to his friends who he loves in Thessalonica. And he says this. You know, brothers and sisters, kind of start this intimate picture. You know that our visit to you was not without results. It wasn't for no reason. He said, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. That was the city he was at, which he got mistreated there before he came to Thessalonica. As you know, but with the help of God, we dared to tell you his gospel, his good news, the story of Jesus in our place in the face of strong opposition. Verse 3, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. See, he's kind of fighting back at the accusations he's been getting. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. 
If you're listening today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are someone who has been approved by God and entrusted with this gospel message, right? He says, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. I'd underline that. You know, we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed as he was being accused of. God as our witness. We're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Look what he says. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. He's saying, we didn't try to assert our authority. We didn't try to control or manipulate you or flatter you, be greedy. He's like, but we could have because of the authority we had. Even there, he's showing the way of Jesus is not to flex our muscles and throw our weight around, but to love and serve. And look what he goes on to say. He says, instead, we were like young children among you. That word children can be interpreted as gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, he starts to get into this intimate picture. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked day in and day. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father. He continues this, this kind of intimate family picture. As a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul kind of gives this, this just intimate picture of, he's like, I'm being accused of this, and he's reminding him, we didn't come with this stuff. You know that we weren't greedy, that we weren't trying to flatter you, we weren't trying to get your praise. But he's like, but instead we came to you in this, this very family loving way. He says we could have came that way, but we didn't. We came this way, the Jesus way, right? So we want to look at three ways that Paul looks at the way he influenced these people, how he, how he went about loving and influencing these people. And the first thing that we see is this, kind of these principles of how he, how he loved these people. So we see Paul showing integrity. We see him showing integrity. He's kind of like, this isn't, you know who we were, right? He says, verses three and four, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motive, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as though approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We see this picture of integrity and what integrity is, is it's being undivided, uncompromised, consistent. That, that what you see is what you get. That you're the same on the inside and the outside. That's what Paul is. He wasn't showing up trying to get some money while preaching this nice message. He wasn't like, oh, we're here from God, but really we're trying to get this done, right? But he was undivided. He was reminding them. He was confident in that fact that he was undivided in what his mission was. You may have heard the phrase structural integrity. Uh, this week, a uh, family member, uh, we've been kind of saving up for, you know, holidays and birthdays for our, our kids that we don't, we're like, we don't want a bunch of toys to trip over and clutter up the house, but we're like, just give us some money towards a swing set. So kind of family friends been giving us a couple bucks towards a swing set we've been saving up for. And a family uh, member found this great deal on this dope swing set this week. And so we got the swing set delivered to our house. Uh, we got it on Marketplace, and I have this giant stack of wood in my driveway. And so I start 
figuring out how tools work, stripping screws, you know, messing this thing up, starting to build this swing set. And me and this family member built this swing set. And it's 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 gonna be fun. It's not the flattest ground back there, but you know, we'll it's when the kids swing, they're just gonna be kind of hitting each other and it's gonna be fine. But you look at construction, you look at this swing set, and you're like, man, it looks awesome. But because Aiden built it, you're like, does it have the structural integrity? And what that means is do all the pieces truly go together? It looks great, but when I stand on it, when I swing on it, when I go down that slide, it's got two slides. When it goes down the slide, is it going to hold me? Is it going to is it going to hold me the way that it looks like it's going to? Is there structural integrity, right? This integrity, this idea of being undivided or uncompromised or consistent, that who I am in public is who I am in private, it's a heart matter. It's a matter of the heart. He says in verse 4, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We can fool people, but we can't fool God, right? We can't fool God. He looks at the heart. In 1 Samuel, we kind of see this play out. It's all through scripture, but it says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Like, it's, it's what God looks at. He's not impressed. That's why we always say we're not impressed by our performance, right? Like, God doesn't need our good works. He doesn't need our performance. Our, our neighbors need our good works, right? Like the people around me need, need, need me to contribute to them and help them and serve them and love them. But God doesn't need that. He sees our hearts. He's not tricked by our performance. He sees what Paul says is our motivation, right? Is our motivation selfish? Is it greedy? Is it flattery? Is it for my praise? Is it those things that Paul was being accused of? That God tests our hearts, what Paul says. He tests our hearts because God wants our hearts. He tests it because he wants it. And our, our hearts, you know, sometimes we equate that in our culture with our emotions, right? But our, our, our desires, right? Sometimes our hearts can say, you know, I'm not feeling God. Our hearts can say, you know, this is what I think God would say about this. Or, you know, I feel like God isn't there. He's not listening. Like our hearts can be deceitful. We can be prone to wander, as an old hymn says, right? And sometimes the question when we talk about integrity is how do I align my heart, maybe my emotions, my desires, how do I align that with the way of Jesus? How do I align what I do with what I feel? How do I align those things, right? That's where integrity shows up, right? How do these things stay consistent? And the the response to the wandering heart, we all experience this, right? The response to that isn't isn't performance. It's not, okay, I I gotta look better I got to make sure people think that I am this way. We talk about that a lot, but we all know it's true, right? We want people to think a certain thing about us on the exterior, if nothing else. We want that to be true about the inside of us. But what's most true is that people think about this on the outside, right? That's our default as humans. But, but the response is wandering heart is not performance, but it's practice. It's practice. Sometimes we can kind of get caught like, oh, the Christian life, it's, it's not about doing anything. And that's not true. It's uh, Dallas Willard says it's not about earning, but it's about effort. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna gain any more love from God, but we want to follow Him, right? It's not about performance, but it's about practice. We've done a series on this before. We talk about this from time to time. This idea of spiritual disciplines, right? Now that sounds a little, you know, maybe scholastic, or like ah, it doesn't sound. 
But this is, this is simply the rhythms and the patterns of our lives. And these spiritual disciplines, these habits of our lives, they turn our hearts towards God, right? Things like prayer and scripture and being in community and even spending time in silence before the Lord, coming to worship together, serving, confession before the Lord. These are simply rhythms of our lives that follow the patterns of Jesus. And what happens is our hearts align with Jesus. Because we'd be silly to think that the patterns of our lives don't change our hearts. We know this because we were all in our houses for a year online and we were, the patterns of our lives shifted our hearts, right? Everybody got ticked off and we all got opinionated and we all got a little weird, right? Because the rhythms of our lives were playing out. The patterns of our lives were playing out in the realities of our hearts. But we align the rhythms and routines that follow the patterns of Jesus so that we might become like him, that we might be formed into the image of Christ. That's how we align our hearts with the realities of how it plays out. And I want to show you guys a picture real fast. Now, we, we've uh, Dan has talked about this a lot at Campus Pastor Dan, if you know him. He's, he's drawn this picture before. And we use this a lot in marriage counseling. And I think it's a powerful picture. I want to just show you what this looks like. Oftentimes, what, what drives the engine of our lives is, is circumstances. We'll throw this up here. Is circumstances, right? What's happened to me, what I've seen, uh, maybe good or bad, right? If I've walked through pain, if I've walked through disappointment, if I've walked through disillusionment like this, this changes uh, the way I interact with things, right? My circumstances can oftentimes be what drives my life. And my circumstances, what ends up driving, it drives my emotions, maybe my heart and my desires, right? And so our heart, our emotions, our desires, what we're passionate about are steered by the things that happen to us, right? And as a result, that changes our actions. It changes the way we live. So the things that we do, the way we live is driven by the circumstances that happen. That's how oftentimes that can be our default, Right? I've been hurt by someone. I've been betrayed. That makes me feel angry. It makes me feel hurt. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up guards against people. I'm not going to trust people. I'm going to be negative. I'm going to, and that, that's what can happen to us in many different ways, right? But when we look at the story of the gospel, that the gospel comes in and it changes our hearts. If the gospel is in the engine of our lives, that God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's patience, God's humility, that all these things that are fruits and benefits of the gospel, that's what's driving my life. It may not immediately change the way that I feel about everything, but it'll change the way that I live, right? That the gospel, that Jesus died in my place, that he came as one of us, all these beautiful treasures of the gospel, they, they kind of capture my heart and they say, man, I want to follow Jesus in that way. So we start practicing spiritual disciplines. I want to pray. I want to spend time with you, Jesus. I want to sit in silence before you. I want to come and gather with your church. I want to confess to you. I want to worship you. I want to serve you. I want to serve others the way that you have served others. It changes our actions. And ultimately what happens is that changes our emotions. See how what's in the engine of our lives changes and drives everything else. And that's how integrity shows up. That's how we align. That's how we're consistent. It's how we align our hearts with the way that we live. We let the gospel be in the engine of our lives. That we show integrity when we're honest about our failures. When we're honest about our shortcomings, we show integrity when we follow Jesus, even when no one's going to see it, even when it feels like it's going to be for no reason. Because it's not about praise of people, it's about God who tests our hearts, is what Paul says. We show integrity when we follow through, even when we feel like it doesn't matter. That integrity means we can live with transparency, because what you see is what you get, right? And our influence will follow our integrity. 
That's what that's what Paul's saying. He's he can say, "Hey, you guys know, you guys know how I lived among you. You know that I didn't come for that reason." And the truth is that we we all struggle with that in different ways. Small ways, big ways, we struggle with that. And the answer is not to perform differently, but to change to see what is the engine of my life in practice the truth of how Jesus lived for us while he was with us. To realign our hearts. The second thing that we see the way that Paul influences and loves and leads these people. We see that he shows integrity, but the second thing is this, that he shows up. He shows up. First Thessalonians, uh, kind of the second half of verse 7 and 8, he says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. It's a powerful analogy, right? It's a very intimate, familial analogy. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. It begins with this picture of how he cares for them. And I, I feel like this is spot on from my life right now because I, I have a, a, a wife who is this new mother, right? Who's caring for this, I don't know, he's a month old now. Caring for him so intimately, right? And this, this kid, I'll be honest with you, he's a handful. He's a loud fella. He's... he's He's not an easy kid. And a lot of times people, you know, because I'm at work and stuff like that, or at church, people will come up and they're like, how's that baby? You know, how's, that, how's your wife doing? How's that baby? And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes people ask me this question and it feels like this. It's like if there was like a war going on and there was like a cook who worked in the kitchen and people came up to that cook and they were like, how's the battle? How's the battle going? And that cook is like, you know, I think it's... I think it's okay. I think it's fine. I think it's an okay battle. Uh, it's a, not great. Uh, you know, I think we're asking the wrong person, right? So people come up to me like, how is saving this baby? I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I have authority to give you an answer on that question, right? But this baby is a handful. He, you know, I actually brought a picture of him just in case you were tuning out. Baby pictures kind of recapture. At least all the women are paying attention. Again, there he is. He's deceptive. He looks cute in that picture. He, he cries like a cat who's on fire, and I am not joking. That's what he sounds like. But I see my wife just pour, like mothers like pour out their lives to these kids. Their body, their time, their heart, all pours into these children. And this is the analogy that Paul's using. He's like, I didn't just share a message with you, but our very lives, right? He says, not only the gospel of God, but our very lives. This is why. There can be kind of this aversion to pamphlets and street preachers, or to be honest with you, what's more tangible for us is Facebook posts type of type of evangelism, right? It's not bad, but but the gospel message is not just information, but it's incarnation. That means in the flesh, right? The gospel message is not just information, but it's incarnation because Jesus came in the flesh. That this message is meant to be shared in the flesh, in relationship with other people. That's why there's this aversion. That's why people aren't turned to Jesus when someone just throws a Jesus grenade at him. Pastor Jonathan texted me. He's driving out to Indiana for a wedding and he passed some, I forget what it said, but some sign that was just about Jesus. I would be curious of how many people have fallen on their knees and given their lives to Jesus because they passed a road sign. I'm sure there has been, right? But the gospel message is meant to be shared in the flesh because it came in the flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. A gospel message that is shared as information and not relation misses the heart of the gospel. 
It would be like trying to show someone a song without humming the melody, right? It would be like just telling them a song by just quoting the words. Uh, you know that song, uh, Sweet Caroline, ba, ba, ba. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't communicate the same way as the melody does for a song. It's how this message was meant to be communicated. And we see Paul saying, we didn't just come with the message, but our very lives. Because if we don't put our lives into the message, then people aren't going to trust that you really care about that message. We see that all through our culture today, right? But don't miss what Paul is saying here. He's not, he's saying not only the gospel, but our very lives. That Paul isn't advocating for a message without relationship, but he also isn't advocating for a relationship without the message. And we can fall on either side of this. We can sometimes say, ah, it's just about the message. It's just about the message. You don't want to get involved in the mess of someone's life and the questions that they have and the, just the weirdness that we interact with all people. People are weird. We're all weird. We say weird things, do weird things, and sometimes it's easier just to give them the message. Just send them the video and just watch it. Let me know what you think. But on the other side, we can just be in relationship and not ever share the message, not ever give an account for the hope that we have, right? We see that Jesus came full of grace and of truth, that both these pieces, the message and the relationship, they come together. And in Paul's relationship with these people, he makes it clear that he's not motivated by greed, but he reminds them of how this message he brought came with his very life. This is the way of Jesus. This is the, the Jesus way of leadership, of influence, right? Is not throwing around authority or here's the information, follow it, but it's showing up in the dirt and giving your very life. We see that's what Jesus did. Sometimes we can struggle to be like, how is God involved in our lives? How is he, is God, did God create everything? And is he actually involved in the nitty gritty of our lives? Sometimes it feels like he's, he's got more important things to do, right? So it's sometimes like agnostic, agnosticism, am I saying that right? That's what sometimes we believe, that God, there's a God out there, but he's not involved. And I understand, I understand how that would be our temptation. That would be my temptation to feel that way. Maybe there's a creator, but I don't think he's involved in the reality of everyday life. But the incarnation of Jesus tells us differently. Because the gospel came in the flesh. We see that in Jesus. That people will know that this message of Jesus matters when it shows up the same way that he did. And ask yourselves, in your relationship with people, are you, are you a helpful presence in their life? Are you simply a reliable presence in their life? Are you, a, as Paul kind of strongly paints a picture of here, are you a caring presence in their life? Like, do we show up with this message? I know it's not a great person to quote these days, but Woody Allen said 80% of success is just showing up. I love that. That we see in this passage that Paul shows integrity, he shows up. And the last thing is this walk through this day, he shows the way. It's simple, but we're gonna unpack what we mean by this, but it shows the way. 11 and 12, Paul says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. Paul kind of says how we're supposed to lead the way and where we're leading them to. He looks at how. Paul continues kind of this intimate picture of his family, right? Talked about mothers. He kind of refers to these guys as brothers and sisters. And now he says, just like a father, right? He says, just like a father. And he says, listen, pay attention to this. It's not how, he says, it's not like a father that dictates and commands and forces, but encourages, comforts and urges, right? 
Now, listen to this. It's not because it's some softy dad, right? Like, oh, it's like this Jesus dad who's just like, we just love you, kid. There's no heart. Like, that's not, that's not the picture. It's not some softy dad, but we all know, you know this to be true, that life change doesn't come from someone telling us what to do. Now, there's importance to truth, obviously. But our life is not changed by someone yelling at us, telling us what to do. But by urging us and comforting us and encouraging and blowing wind in our sails and being like, let's move this way. Come on, this way. That's how our lives are changed. Uh, last year, a very nice lady from the church uh, named Kay brought, um, brought us a tricycle, right? My kid was one, brought a tricycle. He wasn't quite ready to ride it yet last summer, but kind of towards the end of the year, uh, he was ready to try out this tricycle. And so we got on this tricycle and I, I put him on there. I'm like, we're going to ride the tricycle. And I stuck him on there. And I'm like, all right, put your feet on the pedals. And I'm like sticking his feet on the pedals. And he's looking at me like, do you love me? I'm like, put your feet on there. And I'm kind of trying to teach him how to pedal. He's like not even two years old yet. I'm like, let's go. Come on. And I'm like getting frustrated. He's like, I'm done. I'm done. Don't like it. He's like, all right, fine. He did not want to ride this tricycle. This spring rolls around. First thing he pulls out of the shed is this tricycle, right? And he gets on this tricycle and he's kind of using it like a scooter and he's trying to figure it out. And so instead of like sticking his feet on there and pushing him, I'm like, oh, you got it, buddy. You scooting? Like, yeah, that's, here, try it. Try it. Let's go this way. Why don't you try putting your feet on the pedals? Yeah, just try it. And I'm encouraging him, urging him. He loves this tricycle. But, but his love for it didn't come from me sticking his feet on there and saying, let's go. And we see Paul loved the Thessalonians, not as some commanding, dictating, forceful father, but as a father who encourages, urges, and comforts. Because that's the way that we are changed. That's how we're changed. But it's important, not just how he does it, but where he's pointing the Thessalonians to, where this tender father is pointing them to, to living a life worthy of God. Not, not a life that's successful or happy or where you're being your best or you're living your dreams. Like those are things are fine. But that's not where Paul is urging them. It's not where he's pushing them towards. It's a different direction. He's urging them to live in a way that's worthy of God, that's worthy of the kingdom of God, of this message of the gospel. And oftentimes, this is going to go against what's practical, what's cost-effective, what's quick from just being honest with you. The, the direction that we're pointing people is not always going to make the most sense. There's oftentimes to meet with people, whether it's marriage, whether it's dating, whether it's money, whether it's our work, whether it's our time, whether it's our dreams, oftentimes it's not the most practical thing. Like the Jesus' call in our lives is not like super efficient and practical, but it's holiness to follow him. And sometimes if I'm honest, I think we as, as followers of Jesus have to take a look at what's the, what's the advice that I'm giving people? What is the direction I'm pointing them in? Well, you know, whatever makes you happy. No, I think that's a great opportunity because you're going to make more money. You're not going to see your family as much, but you're going to be able to make more money and then they're going to appreciate whatever it is. Or ah, I know the living situation would be cheaper if we did this. So let's just do that. Just do that. Like we can give practical advice that is not worthy of God. And we do that because we think we know better. We're like, well, we, we, we've boiled Christianity down to just practicality sometimes. And when we do that, we miss what God is actually calling us to. And oftentimes it's to be like, it is to be like Jesus, not to live in a practical sense. And don't miss what I'm saying. God's the creator of the universe. Like his way is the best way, but it's not always the most quick and the most practical and make the most sense in the short term. That this call is to urge and to encourage to point one another 
to- like a father towards a life that's worthy of the gospel. Now, I wanna, I wanna do a quick sidebar of this because I think this is important. In this picture that Paul gives, it's this this kind of intimate family picture, mothers and siblings, and he says we were like children among you and fathers. And guys, this is this is what discipleship is. If we're honest, that word discipleship can sometimes uh, be disconnected from our reality because it's not a word that we always use. And so it's like, am I supposed to be doing discipleship right now? Like it can be hard to to really let that word sink in our heart sometimes. And if it's helpful, I would encourage you to think about it this way. That spiritual mothering, spiritual fathering, kind of being spiritual brothers and sisters, like that is discipleship. That, that process, that commitment, that, that kind of family intimacy, that's what it means to disciple one another. That kind of caring and sharing your life, encouraging, urging, comforting, asking questions, walking alongside of for the sake of following Jesus, for the sake of the kingdom, for living a life that's worthy of the gospel. Like that's what, that's what discipleship is, right? Paul says, it's following me as I follow Jesus. That's what he's doing with the Thessalonians. He's like, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And this is why I think this is important. This, is, this, this may be a hobby horse, but I think it's important. In our, our culture, I'm 30 years old. I'm a millennial generation behind me is Gen Z, whatever, that our, our kind of generations are walking through this crazy transformation of technology where so everything from social media to going to Mars to the way that a phone is shaping us to the way that we can find answers to anything. Back in the day, we used to debate and be like, what year did that album come out? Was it 91? Now we Google it. There's no more arguing, right? Like it just changes us. That technology, our secular culture, kind of the interconnected world we have, it all creates questions about faith, genuine questions about faith. Things that maybe were easier, things that maybe just weren't on our mind in last generations, right? Like in last generations, we could read the story of the Old Testament and be like, look at God's power. Now we read those stories and we're like, why did those people die? Why did God do that that way? And people, like, there's genuine questions. Struggles with the Bible, struggles with doubt. There's IBC sexuality is a big thing in our culture that there's questions about why would a loving God send people to hell or the question of pain and suffering, right? Or these cultural narratives on both the left and the right that influence all this stuff. And there's this big mess ball of questions about faith that we have. And if we're honest, many times, not all times, but many times, the church has failed to talk helpfully, if at all, about all these things. And so what has happened? is that my generation and the generation behind me, they either leave the church because they're just done with it or they go to podcasts and YouTubers and different authors and different bloggers to find answers to the real all these real struggles that they have. And they're going to go find someone that gives them some educated opinion on it, some hot take on it, and that's going to, oh, this is what the Bible isn't actually this, or the Bible doesn't actually say this, or God actually this. And it can restruct their whole kind of thinking about the gospel. And if it's not that, if it's not kind of this refiguring out on what things really means and doing all these gymnastics to kind of restructure what Jesus calls us to, we just get on TikTok and wipe our hands clean of this whole thing, right? I see this all through my generation, through friends growing up and then the generation behind me. There's a guy named A.J. Swoboda. He writes a lot about doubt and deconstruction and these things. He's a professor, and he gave this example that I think is, a, is an awesome example. 
in light of us, uh, the spiritual mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters called to walk alongside of people through their doubt and through their questions and through that whole mess of things. He gave this example. Uh, in Arizona, there was a college, I forget what the college was, but they built this biodome, right? Like this, this dome on the campus that was kind of this uh, ecosystem of trees and animals and it was so they could do all these different studies, right? They built this biodome. And as time went on, they, these, these trees would be grown in there, and these huge, regular, normal-sized trees, they started falling over. For kind of no reason, they started falling over. And what they figured out was that as a part of this experiment, these trees fell over because the roots didn't go deep. The roots didn't go deep, and the reason the roots didn't go deep is because there was no wind there was, no, there was nothing pushing against those trees that would cause their roots to go deep. So they just started falling over. Our, our call is this family that Paul has given us. The way that we influence, the way that we lead is to be spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, siblings for one another that walk through all those very valid questions of the Bible and of sexuality and of hell and suffering and how our culture and all these narratives play into all this stuff. It's important to walk through this together as caring mothers that don't just share our opinions in our YouTube videos, but share our very lives. It's not to say, well, you know what the Bible says, so you need to do that, but to urge and to comfort and to encourage and kind of point through like a loving father, to be spiritual siblings, spiritual fathers and mothers, to walk alongside of those who the wind is pushing against so that our roots may go deep. That is what Jesus is calling us to in this. That's what it means to influence and to lead. When I ask you a question, if you're a follower of Jesus, who are you spiritually parenting or being a sibling to? Who are you investing your life into, helping navigate these things? Who is it? And you feel like, I just don't know. I don't know where to find people in that generation. We've got young adults. We've got uh, Grace Dude Ministries, we've got Power Kids. If you just come sign up for one of those. Be a part of being a spiritual mother and father who's walking into that. Sometimes we think that those things are going to look like, oh, we're going to have all these real big, intricate spiritual conversations. It looks like showing up. It looks like showing integrity. It looks like sowing seed, right? That's what this process looks like. Who are you spiritually parenting? But I want to ask this on the other side. Who are you allowing to spiritually parent you? Who are you allowing to kind of be a spiritual brother and sister in your life? Because I want to say this tenderly, that if you're someone who, we all struggle with these, all these different questions of faith, if we're being honest. We all struggle with these. But if we are not connected to a spiritual family, whether, whether that's a, a, a local church, whether that's a a group, whether it's online, like whatever, if there's not some spiritual family that we are intimately connected to, we're missing something because that YouTuber that you love to hear their take on, on spirituality, that author who's got all these hip takes on, on the Bible or that, that podcaster who really gets it that you just are listening to 24-7, they are not going to be there when you walk through the fire. They're not going to be there when your family dies. That author's not going to perform a funeral for your kid who passes away. Whatever trauma and questions that we walk through in our actual lives, the people who are going to show up are the spiritual father and mothers, brothers and sisters that we walk through the mundane nature of life with. If you are a person, and I think you are, you are showing what you believe with the way you live. And that is influencing people. That's leading people. If it's your kids, 
if it's that one friend, if it's that neighbor, if maybe it's a whole floor of people that you manage, whoever it is, that what you believe about your life, what you believe is showing people how important that is. I was reading through the Proverbs this week, and Proverbs 27, 19 says this, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. That all, all this stems from the story of the gospel. All this, Paul's mission to writing them, he keeps it in this gospel of God's kingdom. That God shows, just, just as that passage has, God shows us his heart in the life of Jesus. That the questions we have about God's nature, the questions that we have about God's involvement, we see in the life of Jesus because we have a God who showed We have a God who shows us what it's like to suffer, who shows us the extent to which he is involved in our lives, involved in the mess of this world. One who ultimately shared not just a message, but his very life for us. That we might have relationship with him, that we might have forgiveness, that we might have identity that's not rooted in this world, that we might have a love that's beyond our capacity to be lovable that God came and shared his very life with us and he gave us his spirit, just as, just as Paul talks about being fathered, to lead us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to urge us to follow his way. That the, the riches and the beauty of the gospel is that all, all these, these ways that Paul is influencing and leading these people by showing up and showing integrity and, and leading them and guiding them in the muck and in the mire and the realities of life, that is how Jesus showed up in our lives pray today. God, we're just thankful that, that you're a God who showed up. That Jesus, you, you, don't, you don't lead in a, in a domineering, commanding way, but Jesus, you came, Philippians 2 tells us, humbly. That you came not to be served, but to serve. And in that, Jesus, you have given us a model of influence and of leadership that Jesus, we want to grab a hold of, even if it's just one, one person in our lives. I pray that you would help us to influence and to love and to lead in not a way that makes sense to us, not the ways of the world, but in the Jesus way that we might, that we might be unified in public and in private, that we might have an integrity, that we might show up in people's lives, even if we don't have answers. Even if we don't have something helpful to say, that we would just show up. In that, in these interactions, Jesus, that we would we would urge and comfort and and kind of blow wind in, in our spiritual brother and sister and children's sails towards your kingdom that you've called us into. Jesus, we're thankful for your grace, and we only respond because you have first loved us. It's because of Jesus alone that we pray. Amen.